Our focus tonight is on God's revelation to the world. Last time that we were together, I gave you an overall uh, view of what the study is going to be. I told you that we're not going to necessarily follow it uh, rigidly. There will be some adjustments along the way, but we're still in some foundational issues as we think about how we know what we know and how God has shown himself to us. Uh, Philip Ryken is one of the worldview definitions that I shared with you, and I want to reiterate that, also go back through the six key questions that a biblical worldview answers just quickly by way of review, and then I want to get into the subject for this evening. Philip Ryken says, a worldview is a specific way a person views important moral, theological, and social aspects of the world. It is a framework a person brings to decision-making. It can also be described as the lens that colors the way we see the world around us. We identified uh, how a biblical worldview answers six key questions. The first is origin. How did it all begin? And what the Bible teaches is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and that he's the creator of all that there is. He created out of nothing. We're accountable to him ultimately because he is our creator as well. Identity speaks to what it means to be a human being. This relates to the fact that you and I are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. Uh, it speaks to our value to God in that he gave us life and he created us in his image. Now, obviously, uh, sin has marred that, but even so, we retain the image of God in part in how he created us to know him and to live for him. Then chaos is the next one. What went wrong? The answer is sin is what went wrong. That's where the fall of man took place. Uh, sin entered the world and chaos ensued from that. And had God left us in that state, that condition, then we'd be in big trouble because we would be without hope. But God is the God of hope, so he didn't leave us in our own condition. He made the way for us to know him and uh, to be redeemed. The purpose is, why are we here? And the answer is to glorify God, to live for him. That's why he made us. Uh, and then morality, how are right and wrong determined? They're determined by the character of God and the word of God, which is reflective of the character of God. And then finally, destiny. What happens to people when they die? According to the scripture, if you are in Christ and you trust in him by faith and his death, burial, and resurrection, you've been forgiven of your sins, then you're going to go to heaven when you die. You're going to go to be with God for all of eternity. If you reject the good news and are not in Christ, then you're going to be forever separated from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. Now, we talked also about the significance of a biblical worldview in terms of what it does for us and then how it impacts our service to God in the world. A biblical worldview is important for confidence and growth in the faith. Now, this parallels somewhat with the whole subject of apologetics. Apologetics is not apologizing for something, but rather it's a defense of the faith. Uh, we all engage in apologetics from time to time. Sometimes it's rudimentary apologetics and just communicating the basics of what we know as it intersects with what ideas are in the world. Uh, but apologetics is not primarily for the purpose of winning an argument. 
uh, it's for the purpose of our own discipleship and then also being able to communicate the good news effectively to others. A biblical worldview is good in that sense for evangelism and reaching people who don't know God because if you don't know what you believe, you don't know why you believe it, you don't know how to communicate it, then you can't be a very effective witness for the Lord. And then finally, it's necessary and significant for the health and the holiness of churches and for God's glory. Our attention in this session is towards God's revelation uh, to the world. Now, I'm not talking about revelation in the sense of the book of Revelation, uh, although that's part of the big narrative. I'm talking about revelation in, sense, in the sense of God making something known. And the word revelation indicates a revealing in Christianity specifically, it refers to God's act of communication to people and then also the content of his communication to people. So the revelation of God involves the fact that God has intentionally made himself known and then the content of how he has made himself known is then communicated to us and that comprises the revelation of God to us. Uh, the, the preacher Erwin Lutzer said, Revelation is the free act of God by which he graciously condescends to display and reveal his character, his nature, and his will to mankind. Now, I want to introduce both the doctrine of general revelation and the doctrine of special revelation, and then we're going to look at it more specifically uh, because that's the topic that is before us. And there are three passages of Scripture that I'm going to refer to primarily this evening, but then we're going to look at a broad uh, spectrum of passages in the Bible uh, that relate to this particular subject. Uh, as it relates to general revelation, I'm going to, going to appeal to Psalm 19, and we're going to look at the first four verses. As it applies to uh, special revelation, I want to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 1, because Hebrews chapter 1 specifically opens with content about the revelation of Christ, the Son of God, and then Hebrews chapter 4, which relates to the Scripture and how God has made himself known to us. So Psalm 19, Hebrews 1, and Hebrews 4, and then we're going to build it out from there with some other passages as well. The doctrine of general revelation states this, God has revealed himself through general truths in nature. In it, God's existence and his power can be clearly seen. So you can think about it this way. The design, order, and wonder of creation speak to and point to a powerful creator. When we speak in terms of general revelation, we're talking about uh, general information that has been made known to the world to a general audience. And the knowledge of general revelation is enough to condemn, but it's not enough to convert. It's enough to alert people to the fact that there is a grand designer, that there is someone bigger than us, but at the same time, it's not the specific special knowledge that we need in order to understand the gospel. So Psalm 19 and verse 1 through 4 says this. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to come back in a few minutes and make some comments on it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. 
their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And then the doctrine of special revelation. The doctrine of special revelation says that God has revealed himself through the living word, who is Jesus, and through the written word, which is the Bible. Now, a slight nuance here that I want to point out. These are general categories that we speak in. So when I say to you, God's revealed himself through the living word, and I'm speaking of Jesus specifically, I still understand the fact that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. So I'm not saying that the scripture itself is not also the living word, but I'm simply distinguishing between the fact of who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God, having revealed God to us, and then what the written word is um, as it relates to us as well. So Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 through 3 says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of His nature, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, God revealed himself in various times and in various ways in the past. Those various times and various ways in the past include the fact that God spoke directly to people when it suited his purposes. Um, he spoke in theophanies, in appearances in the Bible that we can read about. He used dreams and visions and prophets, wise men, and so on. So these are the different ways that God has progressively revealed himself to people. But he has preeminently revealed himself through his son. And we might say that Jesus is the visible display of God because he has made not God known to the world. Now, this goes back again to our understanding of the Trinity, that God is one in essence and he's three in person. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal. They are indivisible, uh, but Jesus uh, took on flesh and dwelt among us and therefore displayed God to us. And now Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God, now speaking about the written word, is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So if Jesus is the visible display of God, then we would say that the Bible is the verbal display of God. Jesus is the visible display of God. The Bible is the verbal display of God. General revelation tells us that God exists, and special revelation tells us how to relate to the God who exists. You see the connection. We can know something about God, but then special revelation tells us specifically how we can relate, relate to this God who has made himself known. So let's look first at a consideration of general revelation. A consideration of general revelation. And you have this on the outline that I gave you the uh, specific points here and I think it'll be helpful for you to follow along general revelation first of all comes from God's initiative it comes from God's initiative the premise of the Bible is that God eternally is 
but he has intentionally made himself known to the world. So when scripture opens in Genesis 1 and verse 1, and it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we do not find an apologetic for the existence of God or a defense of the character of God or really anything else other than the fact that God is and God has. He is eternal, but in the beginning as we know it, he created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's an important passage of scripture that, that goes along with this that we need to look at as well, and that's in Romans chapter 1. Uh, any discussion of general revelation, it doesn't matter, you could be in the most intensive theological class, a formal theological class, and there's two passages that they're going to go to immediately to speak about general revelation. Those passages are Psalm 19 and Romans 1. Romans 1 particularly addresses humanity and where we are and how we know what we know and our response to that because of sin. And I want to pick up reading in Romans 1 and verse 18, and I'm going to read through verse 20. He says, For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now here's the key verse in verse 19. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. Now verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. This quote by Wayne Grudem is fitting here. He said, if we are to know God at all, it is necessary that he reveal himself to us. Even when discussing the revelation of God that comes through nature, Paul says that what can be known about God is plain to people. Now you'll recognize the phrase here from the verses we just read. Because God has shown it to them. General revelation comes through observing nature, through seeing God's directing influence in history, and through an inner sense of God's existence and his laws that he has placed on the heart of every person. Charles Ryrie also has a quote about general revelation. He said, general revelation is exactly that. It is general. It is general in its scope. That is, it reaches out to all people. It is general in its geography. That is, it encompasses the entirety of the globe. It is general in its methodology. That is, it employs universal means like the heat of the sun and human conscience. Simply because it is a revelation that affects all people everywhere and wherever, wherever they have lived, it can bring light and truth to all or, if rejected, it brings condemnation. So general revelation comes from God's initiative. Um, there is a, an entire series by um, um, Carl F. H. Henry, who was known as the greatest theologian, greatest evangelical theologian of the 20th century. And the series that he wrote is God, Revelation, and Authority. And it's a multi-volume series. And in it, his basic idea, and I've referenced this before because it's been very impactful for me and I've read through it a couple of different times, but in it he makes the point very clearly that we know what we know about God because he has revealed himself to us. 
this is foundational so god is a self-revelatory god if he had not shown himself to us and revealed himself to us through general revelation through special revelation we would not know what we know about him and then general revelation speaks to what is evident around us it speaks to what is evident around us we have abundant evidence in creation that there's a creator and that's the entire idea of psalm 19 that we read the heavens declare the glory of god so they speak about him day after day night after night declaring that there is a god now like you some of uh, like some of you um, i've had an opportunity to travel extensively primarily on mission not a lot of international leisure travel but some and been a lot of different places in the world and there are, are some of the most beautiful places in the world if not the most beautiful places in the world right here in our own country so you don't have to go very far in fact you don't even have to go outside of west virginia to see some of the greatest handiwork of god from my perspective and when i look at these things the thought that comes to my mind is not you know that's pretty amazing that that just all happened by accident that's that's not what i ever think it never crosses my mind I, I don't think about the fact that um, complexity comes from a lack of complexity or that uh, something that moves to a higher state did so through mutation. I mean, these are ideas that take way more faith to believe than just to believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So I believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, I believe it more than I've ever believed it. And I just had a conversation this week with a good pastor friend of mine who's been very influential in my life and we were talking about uh, different people along the way that kind of lose their way and they end up off in left field somewhere believing all kinds of nonsense that politics and secular culture and everything else drives them to believe and you've got these people that are supposedly ex-evangelicals and they're they're deconstructing and you got it's almost like it's a cottage industry now it's popular to be able to do that well, I want you to know I'm not deconstructing. I'm continuing to construct. And I believe what I have always believed since I was taught it from the very earliest age. And I believe that God's word is true. He's trustworthy. He can be counted on. He's revealed himself to us for a reason. So I want to caution you when you're around people that present themselves as though they're just a shade smarter than everybody else. They're just a shade wiser than everybody else. They're going to tell you what the Bible really means. Well, let's just take it for face value and let's believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth because that's the starting point of faith and that's what I think that the scripture teaches. So general revelation speaks to what is evident around us and then general revelation appeals to the conscience. The conscience is your moral God-given awareness. It gives you the ability to exercise self-evaluation and it is a servant of your personal value system. Now, this is why when people's consciences are seared or maybe they are just hardened and they don't even seem to act with a conscience, uh, that their personal value system also follows in the same uh, trajectory. But if your value system is an understanding of who God is and you hold to that and you believe it, then that's going to serve your personal value system and, and put you in the direction that, that the Scripture uh, and general revelation especially would take you. So moving from Romans chapter 1 
Um, I want to move now to Romans chapter 2, and I'm going to read three verses beginning in verse 14. He's going a little bit more in depth here, and I want to make a point about the conscience. He says, So when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or excuse, uh, or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. Now, make this connection here because this is, this is a little bit disconnected, but I want to make the connection. We have an internal witness that God has given us in our consciences where he has made himself known to us it is evident to us so that we are without excuse and what God has shown us through natural uh, his natural creation points to the conscience that we also have within so this is this is a multifaceted revelation of God to us is what I'm trying to communicate that we can look around and we can see the beauty of what God has made and we say there's got to be a designer even if you're not explicitly a follower of Jesus Christ and your faith is not yet in him you can look around you and say this is far greater than anything that could have happened by accident and you can point to a designer but when your faith is in Christ and then the conscience is working along with that then the law that God has written on your heart is going to further direct you and further guide you and this is why it's important for us to, uh, from a Christian perspective, uh, to be sure that we are confessing our sins and we're living a repentant life, that we're staying in the Word of God because God further works through that in our conscience to guide us in the things that are right and wrong. And that conscience um, is appealed to by the general revelation. And then general revelation points to the attributes of God. It points to the attributes of God. Now, the attribute of the glory of God is evident. Remember Psalm 19 and verse 4? The heavens declare the glory of God. So that's general revelation, like speaking through a megaphone, telling us something about God. And what does the psalmist say it tells us about God? It tells us about the glory of God. It's proclaiming the glory of God uh, to the world. And glory means weighty, literally. So if you look at the universe, you could be led to think in worship this God must be great because look at what he has done look at the amazing things around us that are a witness to what he has done the attribute of the power of God is also evident we read that in Romans 1 for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities that's his eternal power and his divine nature that have been clearly seen so we can see the glory of God in the finished product but we can take a step back and we can say, this God's really powerful. He is able because of what he has done uh, in his creation. The attribute of the transcendence of God is evident. In Romans 1 and verse 20, it says that God has made other invisible qualities plain to us, like his divine nature. Divine means relating to or proceeding directly from God. And when we speak in terms of transcendence, we're talking about the fact that in some regard God is beyond comprehension because he is different or greater than his creation his ways are not our ways there is something in someone who is who is more than us 
So we're not saying God can't be known because God can be known in the way that he has told us he can be known. But what we're saying is God is a big God. He's an eternal God. He's a transcendent God. And therefore that puts us in awe of who he is. And then we also see the attribute of the kindness of God in general revelation. Uh, Acts 14 and verse 17 says, He has not left himself without a testimony. He has shown, listen to this, kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. So God cares for people. He cares for animals. He gives rain. He gives food. Uh, You remember Jesus gave an illustration on general revelation in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, in relation to our tendency to worry, he said, listen, look at how God provides for the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Jesus was making a statement about general revelation. And he said, aren't you more valuable than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? So nature itself and how God makes it rain on the just and the unjust and how the sun shines on all of us and how the earth provides food and sustenance for us. All these things are little measures of the kindness of God. That's his common grace to the world. And it points us back to this idea of general revelation. And then general revelation should lead people to seek God. Now, Acts chapter 17 is in verse 24 to 27. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. But in it, Paul makes it clear that God made the world and everything in it, but he doesn't live in shrines that are made by hands. And he said he did what he did, according to verse 27 of Acts chapter 17, so that people might seek God, so they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So the purpose of God doing all this is not just uh, arbitrary. It's not just God needed something to do, so he spoke creation into being. He did this so that it would draw people to him. And they would say, hey, there's got to be something and someone who is bigger than us. There's got to be something that is greater than us. And God gives every person life and breath and everything else. Verse 25 says he created all nations from one man. Uh, and he, he determined the times where we would live and when we'd be born and everything in between. So I believe if a person believes that God is and they seek God because of their conscience and because of general revelation, to know more about God, then God will give a witness for himself. So well, give me a scriptural example of that. Well, how about, this is not the only one, but how about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? Cornelius is an excellent example of this. Because he and his family were devout. The Bible describes Cornelius as a God-fearing man who gave generously to those who were in need, who prayed regularly. And what did God do for Cornelius? He sent him Peter. Peter gave him a witness of the gospel. Cornelius and his household were saved. So I believe if there are people who, based on the information that they have seen in general revelation who want to know more, then God will provide a witness for himself. But that doesn't negate the responsibility that we have because we've been called to be the witnesses, so we don't sit around thinking, well, God will send somebody. 
No, we're probably the somebody, if it's a burden on our heart, and somebody that we know that doesn't know the Lord, we're probably the somebody if we're in Christ, and we need to be faithful and obedient with what uh, has been given to us. Even so, not everybody's going to believe in God. That's the bottom line. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 already told us that the wrath of God is being revealed. And it says what can be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. So sin causes people to suppress the truth because of their wickedness. Sin hardens people's consciences even though they have an innate awareness of God. But Romans 1 and verse 20 makes it clear that people are without excuse. So I want you to think about it this way. All of creation rises up as a witness to those who do not believe. The sun, the moon, the stars, the order and the grandeur of it all serves as a witness to the glory of God. And even so, Psalm 14 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt. They do vile deeds. There is no one um, who, who knows God. So that's general revelation. Now what about a consideration of special revelation? The second part, and I'm going to move quickly through this. Special revelation can be defined as a supernatural communication from God that has been given to humanity. These are truths that creation tradition, history, or conscience, or any other reasoning process could not lead us to know. So these are not general truths in every place to all people. These are specific truths that God reveals and proclaims in all the world so that people might know him. We're dependent on God for all things, even the knowledge that God exists. God reveals himself to us as eternal, powerful, glorious, creative, orderly, loving, all-knowing, sovereign, worthy of worship. And special revelation in the past, before, the, before we had the, the closed canon of Scripture as we do now, included things like God speaking to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden or speaking to Abraham when he called him out to be the father of a great nation. Or Moses, when he uh, called him out in Exodus 3 to go and lead his people um, and to be the voice of the law. Or Jonah speaking to the Ninevites. That was the revelation of God to them. Or Gabriel speaking to Mary and, and Zacharias. Or maybe Simeon hearing from the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he, see, until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Or Jesus showing the two men on the road to Emmaus how the Old Testament revealed him, or Jesus appearing to Saul in Acts chapter 9. There's all these examples in the Scripture of special revelation of how God communicated to people. And according to Hebrews 1 that we read earlier, God has revealed himself in various ways at different times to different people. He did not do it all at once, but over a long period of time. So God has revealed himself at specific times in the past. God has revealed himself in different ways in the past. And God has revealed himself to different people in the past. But the Bible, Scripture, is the written form of God's special revelation to people, including both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The infinite, eternal, and incomprehensible creator 
has made himself known to us. And he's given us his word so that we might know him. So the special revelation of scripture, of the scripture, has a purpose. It has a distinct purpose. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 and 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what's it for? Well, so we can know God. And ultimately, so that we can be complete for every good work and equipped for every good work in Him. We understand that the special revelation of the Scripture is inspired. And this is important when we think about the inspiration of Scripture because the Bible was written by ordinary men. They had their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own backgrounds, uh, their own experiences. And while God did not dictate the words of the Scripture, except in places where it's recorded that He specifically spoke uh, to the people, He worked through the writers whom He created and he used it for his own purposes. And when we speak of inspiration, we're talking about something that is God-breathed. So inspiration does not mean, listen to this carefully now, that the Bible contains God's revelation. It means that the Bible is God's revelation. And this is a distinction because classic Protestant liberalism, especially of the 20th century, but which grew out of the higher criticism of the German schools in the 19th century, did a play on words. It's referred to in, in some ways as doublespeak. The play on words was, yes, we believe that the Bible contains the Word of God, but the nuance is it's not necessarily the Word of God. So it puts humanity, people who think they're smarter than other people, in judgment, sitting in the judgment seat, about what passages of Scripture are valid and what are not. So what follows from that is you start getting arguments from people. Well, Jesus didn't specifically say this. That's something Paul said. Well, all of a sudden, we just dove off into a theological septic tank. We are in bad, a bad situation when we go in that direction. Because either it's all the Word of God and it's inspired, or none of it is. And I can tell you right now, I, not only would I not be a pastor if I didn't believe the Bible, I wouldn't even be a Christian. That's how important this is. Either it's true or it's not. If it's true, then we've got to decide what we're going to do with it. And if it's not true, none of it matters. But I believe it is true. And Second Peter 1 and verse 20 and 21 says, Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it does not mean that uh, God is trying to hide his word from us. It means that God is communicating his word to us and that the words of the Bible are the words of God himself. And this is what verbal plenary uh, inspiration of the scripture is all about. Uh, and, of course, there were uh, objections to that from, from time to time where the people that God was going to use in big ways were afraid they weren't going to know what to say. You remember, uh, Moses would be one of them in Exodus. And God said, listen, I'm going to help you know what to say, and I'm going to essentially speak through you. Um, or what about Jeremiah when he started 
uh, telling the Lord that he was young and you know I don't know he just started making all these excuses and God said to him in Jeremiah 1 and verse 7 don't say I'm only a youth for you will go to everyone I send you to and you will speak whatever I tell you to speak and that should be our posture as well Lord we want to go wherever you send us to go with this word and we want to communicate to other people what you have said um, I like this illustration from a theologian by the name of uh, creatively Thomas Thomas and he recalls in this illustration that as a boy he would play in the little streams that ran down the mountainside near his home and I want to pick up reading here of what he says here he says we boys like to play what we call boats our boat would be any little stick which was placed in the water and then we would run along beside it and we'd, we'd follow it as it washed downstream when the water would run rapidly over some rocks the little stick would move rapidly as well in other words that little stick which served as my boyhood boat was carried along borne along under the complete control and direction of the water it moved as the water moved it so it is with reference to the writers of the scriptures they were carried along borne along under the control and the direction of the holy spirit of god they wrote as the spirit directed them to write they were borne along by him so that what they wrote was exactly what the holy spirit intended should be there and what they wrote was in a very real sense not their words it was the very word of god revelation 22 and verse 18 he says i testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book if anyone adds to them god will add to him the plagues that are written in this book and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy god will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city which are written about in this book god's special revelation ended with the closing of the canon of scripture somewhere around 90 a.d after john's writings while some church uh, fathers recognized and used uh, most or all of the 27 new testament books before 200 a.d it was officially accepted by the church in 325 a.d and there was some give and take there was criteria as to why different books of the bible would be accepted how did they get into the canon uh, were they consistent with the other books in the scripture and ultimately we came to uh, the bible that we have today not only is the scripture inspired however the special revelation of the scripture is sufficient it's sufficient as peter tells us as a source of truth and direction and i love the way he puts this for everything pertaining to life and godliness for everything pertaining to life and godliness. remember i told you that every situation in life and every specific in life is not addressed in the scripture but there is a principle that applies to every situation and every circumstance in life and that's essentially what peter tells us he's given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness and because it's inspired from god and sufficient the special revelation of scripture is divinely authoritative it's divinely authoritative jesus made it clear that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets he didn't see himself coming and superseding what had been written he came in fulfillment of it like like he's the answer to every question that there was in the old testament jesus is the fulfillment of it and he makes that clear in his ministry so the bible claims for itself a singular and final authority concerning all matters that it addresses and the scriptures carry ultimate authority because they are the words of the sovereign god of the universe so how is the scripture 
authoritatively useful to us well certainly useful to to counsel us because it teaches us what is true it's useful to convince us because it reproves and admonishes when we're getting off track and we're going in the wrong direction it's useful to correct uh, to set an upright an object if we're not where we need to be and it's useful to coach us because it helps us know what the right thing is to do uh, in following God now for the final part of this lesson this evening the special revelation of Jesus is the ultimate revelation Jesus entered human history as the living word of God he's the logos John 1 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God Jesus is the incarnate word of God who embodies the word of God Jesus said to his disciples he who has seen me has seen the father so he was saying I'm here as the declaration of God John 19 30 I and my father are one and he claimed in that to be the source of truth and the only way to God that's what Jesus claimed that's not what I claim that's what Jesus claimed he said in John 14 6 I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me so Jesus is the one who brings together this general revelation of creation and all that we can witness with our eyes he brings together the written revelation to us all the promises and the story the the meta narrative of scripture is about Jesus the Messiah the promised one and then he is our way to the father through repentance and faith and in all things he's our cornerstone in him the building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord so I want to say it this way in Jesus if your faith is in him you have salvation because you can be forgiven your past can be taken care of but then you also have sanctification not just salvation but sanctification because you're growing to be more like him God's growing you in the person that you are you're you're growing in your faith you're growing in your character you're growing in your the way you're a blessing to other people you're growing you're being sanctified to be more like Jesus and then in Jesus we have a sure future we have a an eternal hope so salvation sanctification and a sure future now I want to close with this quote from Carl F.H. Henry that I referenced earlier he said the proclamation of the word of God that is of the revealed truth of the gospel centering in the incarnate crucified and risen logos that's the word therefore propels every hearer into a crisis of decision since it calls for an immediate verdict on redemption by Jesus Christ that leads either to or away from eternal life in the present and to future salvation or damnation where does anyone other than Jesus of Nazareth stand forth to declare I am the truth to be either worshipped or crucified this is really what it comes down to you can understand all of the academic aspect of God's revelation to the world through general revelation and special revelation and still not know the Lord Jesus Christ 
you say well there's a lot of stuff i don't know i'm not sure well there's a lot of things you're not going to know after you've been saved for a long time too because you're still going to be growing and learning and and progressing in your faith but what you got to start with is what you know and what we know is that god is the creator of all and he made us to have a relationship with him and people sinned and when they disobeyed god it created separation between god and people and if that separation had remained permanent permanently then all of us would be without hope but god intervened he made the promise in genesis 3 and verse 15 ultimately fulfilled in jesus when he when he came to this earth and jesus came god in the flesh to live a perfect life to die as your substitute on the cross he died for your sins not just a general sense he died for your sins and he died for my sins he was buried in a barred tomb and he was raised on the third day and even now he's seated at the right hand of god the father and this brings you now that you know that to a crisis of decision are you going to accept jesus by faith and turn from your sin into the savior or are you going to leave it be and reject him god wants you to know him